socio-political issues. One man searches for intelligent conversation. From Dedham, Massachusetts, the birthplace of modern democracy, this is You Don't Have to Yell with your host, Dan Sally. Sally. Welcome to episode 60 of You Don't Have to Yell. It's the bod boy of nonpartisan political podcasting bringing you the very first episode of Fall Pumpkins, Sweaters, Socially Distant Halloween, More Pumpkins. Now, you all might remember episode 58 when Mark Bauer, who was raised in a conservative Christian household, alluded to a generational divide amongst conservative Christians over Donald Trump. And this week... I asked the data monkey to dig into that and see if there was truth to this. Then Ruth Bader Ginsburg died. So we talk about RBG's legacy, still get to the Christian stuff, talk about abortion on the way, and then I end up cursing the entire month of October. You'll have to listen to find out. Needless to say, some mistakes were made, but it was an interesting conversation nonetheless. Now also, a heads up to anyone listening to this who might consider themselves pro-life. I go off the rails a bit in this episode when we get into abortion. I'm hoping the place I'm coming from makes sense. Feel free to call me if I'm out of line. And with that out of the way, on with our episode. All I want to do is get big enough to steal Chris Cuomo's hashtag. Have you ever watched like Cuomo primetime? It's Chris Cuomo's show on CNN. I think it's at eight or nine. I can't remember. Oh, well, I've seen him. I've never actually watched the show. I've it's not. Seen, it's, I've probably seen clips from it. That's probably I mean, about it. At this point, any news after seven is just bullshit. Any news station after seven is just well, there. Well, to they're get not mad. news, right? I mean, no. I mean, we've we've gone over this with your like the listeners yeah. a bunch, but like you just have to start explaining to yourself that it's infotainment you are watching. You're not watching the news. The news died years ago. There was no like checking the headlines all day and stuff. Like it was literally just like you got home from work or you were probably in a news like you know, block out, right? <laughs> Where you were, yeah. you were doing whatever you were doing at work and like talking to people on a landline phone on things that were related to work. And, yes. and then you maybe, or maybe didn't get them on the phone because they were not near that phone that was tied to the wall. Like mm-hmm. that. So therefore like you were in a news blackout until you got home. And then sometime either before your dinner or after your dinner, whether you ate early or late, you turned on the news to find out what happened today. Right before you yeah. got the newspaper the next morning, that would sort of do a more of a recap and anything that happened overnight, plus like you know some commentary on it to put it. But like that died years ago. Like it died the, with cable. Like at that time, news is that's not news. That is infotainment. News is available all day long at any second you want it. Most likely, probably at work, surfing the web, learning something that's unrelated to your job. Yes. Yes. And then you get home with a bunch of stuff and now you turn on an entertainer who then crafts a narrative around the shit that you just saw and yeah. that you gathered all day. It's like pro wrestling. It is legit pro wrestling. You have the anchor who embodies all of the characteristics you like. And then you have the bad guy who embodies all the characteristics you don't like. Right. It is it is pro wrestling. Right. And 
All I want to do, so Chris Cuomo's show has, he uses the hashtag, let's get after it. And all I want to do is get big enough to steal that hashtag. All I want to do is get big enough. So when Chris Cuomo's interns or whoever else are, you know, preparing for the show that day and they're seeing a lot of let's get after it hashtags and like, oh, wow. And then it's just like price is right. Losing horn, you know, it's this face again. You know, that's (laughs) like in your face, Cuomo. (laughs) (laughs) That's all I want to do. That is all I want to do. I just want, it's like my, it's a, you, I think you've really drilled down is that the singular goal of this was just spike the ball in Chris Cuomo's face. Is that that's that, pretty much all I want to do is dunk on that guy. And once I'm done there, I could go back and I don't know, you know, yeah. start a fish tank or something like that. You know, who knows? Sky's the limit. There's actually, there's, there's another thing I wanted to bring up at the top of this uh, episode. I always make a joke about the data monkey and I are going to talk about whatever the big story of the week of last week is provided something more terrible doesn't happen in between now and then. And every time I do it, something God awful has happened or something. Oh, monumental. So, so what you're saying is 2020 is your fault. More a hundred percent. It really a, started going off the rails in 2019 even. And that's kind of when you got this thing. When started. I started. So, yeah, exactly. So I think exactly. what we've established is, is that I think you need to shut this down because you're, you're destroying us all. I am the black widow of America. And so what I'm going to do though, is I'm going to stop with that joke. Cause of course, just Friday night, uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg passed. Um, and I'll be honest, like my first reaction was, oh, God, everybody's going to be fighting over this now. That was my first reaction. Which is unfortunate, but that's the state of the world. It, it was. And then the other thing I thought, too, because I, uh, I talked with Sarah about it, and I, I, you know, I saw a lot of other women I know uh, talking about it on social media, and it just kind of highlighted maybe a little, dare I say, privilege um, that I could be frustrated with so many people arguing about it because the thing that I think it's you don't always recognize as a guy is how important it is to women when a woman in power speaks up for them, you know. Right. And my and Sarah was really you know was down about it. I know a lot of other women were down about it. So you know, for me, it's like. I, 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 I need, how do I put this? There, there are greater things at force than my frustration over the fact that this is just going to be another, uh, another scream to get more yardage in our political football game. Right. You know? Right. I, I agree with you that unfortunately I had the same sort of reaction, which was that when my wife told me about this, I was, I had the same reaction, which I was sort of just one, I had the, the instantaneous reaction of like, oh, this is going to be a political bonfire. And and then two seconds after that had the meta reaction, which was, oh, why is that my first thought? Mm -hmm. Like, and I was, it was just sort of a sad state of like my own head, the the culture in which my own head resides, that that is, you know, where, uh, that where it sort of went. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah, like I think that the goal, you know, sometimes the, you know, the goal of the, of this podcast in, in, in one way is to really bring us to what democracy should be doing, which is a consensus driven 
form of government, but on the same token, um, I, I don't think that tone should overshadow the fact that there are people who legitimately should be pretty pissed off right now, you know? Right. And, uh, and, and a lot of times it's easier to sit back and say, Hey, let's stop arguing when you're, you know, not the person being paid 75% of your peers or getting followed in stores, uh, because of the color of your skin. So there we go. So, well, there was one thing that jumped out at me this month and I asked you to kind of dig into it, which is in my conversation with Mark Bauer, who is running as an independent in Texas district, just North of Dallas, Fort Worth. I picked up a generational divide in the conservative Christian camp over Donald Trump because uh, now Mark himself is truly independent in terms of his political stances. He is kind of all over the board. So he's not somebody I would call like your, your dyed in the wool conservative Christian, but he comes from and he comes from a conservative Christian background. And so that really led me to ask the question, we kind of view evangelicals as a monolith mm. in elections. You know, we kind of vote them, we kind of view them as all voting Republican down the line, abortion, gay rights, those are kind of the main things they go after. And I detected a generational fissure in that vote from my conversation with Mark. And so I was interested in finding out, is that, is, does it exist? Or is it that monolith that a lot of people outside the community think it is? Yeah. Okay. Let's cut right to the chase. Yes. It does exist. <gasps> Shocker. Yeah, right? Yeah. The, okay. The, the, the concerns of 65-year-old white evangelicals are not the same as the uh, 30-year-old ones or the 25-year-old ones. Really? That may be a shocking, shocking uh, conclusion to come to, but... Um, but it's, that, that is the reality. You heard it here first, folks. It's like any group. Isn't it fun to not assume that they're um, all exactly the same and believe uh, all the exact same things? Um, yeah, you know, it's, I mean, it's anything, so much easier. Is, uh, right. You know, it, we, it, well, it's even to the point, right, where we can say that um, I think the the most recent polling on this would say something like, uh, 72% of white evangelical Protestants, you know, approve of Trump's job performance, which is to say like, you know, 60% of them strongly approve. Right. Okay. Yeah. Well, so that stop and think about that. I mean, seven out of 10 white evangelical Protestants approve of his job performance, which means there are three of them that do not think he's doing a very good job. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right. So don't like, don't take 70 and make it a, a hundred. Like, I, you know, I, you know, that's what we do with everything around here. I mean, we did it with the election itself, right? It's like going back to like, uh, not that, you know, I don't need to be the defender of 538 and Nate Silver, but I will say they gave Trump a 30% chance of winning. Right. That was pretty big. <laughs> like, yeah. And it's like, oh, these guys don't know anything. You're like, well, on any given Sunday when you watch a football game, is it like 100% certain who's going to win? I mean, like, we make predictions and there are upsets like, well, not is, to that's, prob that's probabilistic thinking, not to mention three in 10 odds is better than Russian roulette. Yeah. And, and like, you wouldn't play that game, right? <laughs> right. You know, like, 
So why expected Nate Silver to be that much better? Um, yeah, I, I think it also kind of getting back to the professional wrestling element of it. You remember how like and for folks who maybe weren't around or, or didn't watch professional wrestling in the 80s, it was like super racist. And they had every type of foreign group uh, as a bad guy. Pretty much. I think they were all bad guys. Yeah, Mister Fuji was a bad guy. Yeah, uh, he had this yep. magic dust he blew in people's eyes, which uh, probably came from Japan. We assume. Uh, Iron Sheik, uh, Razor Ramon. Who Razor Ramon was interesting. Uh, was probably the most interesting because he came right when they were like when they finally found out. Oh, whoa, guys, this isn't cool. And so Razor Ramon became a good guy named Scott Hall. Wow, that's a, that's the- a forgettable name. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But so it's super racist. And I feel almost like politics is kind of like that, where if we were like, we could just quite literally make wrestling characters out of them, like the evangelical. Oh, and, we, d- you know, we do all the time. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, the, the, the mega hat wearing this, the Karen, Karen, just that idea that we're Karen, using. Yes. Name, right. I think, I think, uh, I think the MAGA hat wearing uh, bad guy would have like, Karen as his girlfriend. Like Karen would show up. Karen would be the manager slash girlfriend. Like Macho Man Randy Savage. Yeah. So and, you're using uh, you're using wrestling terms. The way I, I I would see people do this now is right. Like it's it's video game terminology, like choose your fighter. Yeah. You know, it's like, like choose your fighter, the MAGA hat wearing like uh, or is it is it the you know sensitive ponytail uh Brooklyn hipster? Is it the yeah. like yoga Antifa pants wearing thing. Karen? Like it's these awful like ridiculous things that we that we use because we take these majority poll summaries that we then turn into uh, like some anthropomorphized version the only one there's we could pull right from the wwf the only one we could pull from there and just plop it right in today's political scene would be the big boss man yeah because you remember him he was like the southern racist cop yeah that's that would be (laughs) That could be put in the bad guys. That that would definitely be make it in today's uh, political arena. So the evangelical bad guy is much like professional wrestling bad guys of the 1980s, a a fiction, a costume villain, correct? And, correct. Correct. And so tell me about the uh, the diaspora. Yeah. So and so and you asked about the difference between. So I I think. Um, you know, shout out to five thirty eight because I did. They did have a good article on sort of young white evangelicals that I pulled a lot of the links from. Now, I went to the the links they mm-hmm. got, the studies they got this stuff from. But um, but there's a good article up there you can go can go look mm-hmm. at. Um, but there is a um, yeah. I just think it's interesting because like, if you say you know if we said something like seventy two percent of the most recent polls, and that sort of fits with. And this this article was written sort of late twenty nineteen, so it might have changed a bit. Um, you know, I think is uh, on the on the splits here between yeah. young and, and old, but um, but generally, I think most of the data still hangs um, together. Uh, if you go to forty five plus, that you know approval, somewhat approve is you know kind of close to eighty um, percent, uh-huh. and I suspect even within that, it's probably heavily weighted toward the sixty five plus, right? That are going to be like. Trump's the best. Um, and everything he does is, is, is fantastic. Uh, mm-hmm. and there's, then you look at the 18 to 44 split. Um, this is within white evangelicals. So like, um, 
it falls to kind of sort of 50, 50, 60, 50, really? 60%, say favorable, somewhat favorable. And, and the very favorable is, is sort of one in four of those. Okay. So, um, so that's where I think it's kind of, and I think, and what's interesting is that the one in four, you know, one in four say very favorable and one in four say sort of very unfavorable. So it's like, so they just cancel each other out more or less. Yeah. So it sort of falls to the, you know, the 70, the 70, 30 split is the middle, right? That Mm -hmm. of those who think it's either somewhat favorable or somewhat unfavorable, there's sort of a 70, 30 split of those. Wow. But the, yeah, but your point, the polls are actually kind of almost equal, like in the sense of the, the, the very favorables and the very unfavorables. And where, and where I thought it was interesting is what it ends up happening is I think it goes by, um, you know, it goes by, uh, by issue is, is where this starts to, to sort of split off. Um, Mm -hmm. because the the hot buttons that work for evangelicals overall, versus the hot buttons that work for uh, older white evangelicals and versus younger evangelicals are different. Okay. Right. Um, so the, and it sort of says to me again, I, you know, there's you, you, we were joking offline that increasingly I'm going to be probably just the hunch monkey over the data. Because yeah, right. sometimes I just, uh, I have to go with like, yes, I looked at some data, but I don't, haven't done a deep enough dive to sort of, and we have an episode to do. So yeah, yeah. So we have a, yeah. And I, and I have a day job. <laughs> put, so um, put your money down. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, so listeners, if you could all sort of get behind this podcast and tell two friends so that you could make it our day job, I promise you more actual data and less hunches. But uh, yeah, in, in the meantime, I actually have a job I have to do aside from let's this. stop um, the humiliation. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, um, so I have to sort of say, okay, uh, I'm going to draw some, some, a few conclusions about where we might, might look at this, but I, yeah. I just, I suspect, you know, and this goes back to the, the religion and politics, um, discussion we had, um, in December, I think. Yeah. I mean, in COVID world, that feels like it was 20 years ago, but, right. yeah, um, but yes, uh, it yeah. was something like December. I think we did that. Um, it was either late December or January. I don't know. It's out there. You can go listen to it. Uh, but one of the conclusions we had from that was that, you know, your politics sort of set your religion, not the other way around a little bit. And, um, at least it sort of seems to say it's very influenced. And what I was going to say, where I'm going with this is that I think the data sort of would suggest that the older white evangelicals are more easily swayed by like the messaging, right? Like, yes. So for example, the percentage of white evangelicals who said immigration was at the top of their agenda went from less than 50% in 2014 to over 70% by like 2019. Wow. So, and I bet, and I don't, I don't have the split. I I think again, this is sort of, um, we'll go hunch monkey here. I don't, I don't have the, the demographic splits within that polling, but I suspect it's um that it went much it's the that the rate of change on that is much higher amongst the older crowd than the younger ones and i and i say that because the follow on to this is that mm-hmm. 66% of white evangelicals between 18 and 34 when asked believe immigrants strengthen the country 54% yep. of white evangelicals 65 and over believe immigrants are a burden 
there are kind of two things that I that I see here, and they're kind of separate trends. Um, number one, and for anyone sixty five plus, forgive me for for saying this, but in general, I think if you ha- spent your adult life getting back to what we said earlier, where there was just kind of where the news was just like one hour of your day, if you spent a good chunk of your adult life in that world. Um, you have a more difficult time filtering out all the messages coming at you across multiple platforms today. Um, I think I think our mind is designed to make things efficient, and I think that your your mind ultimately is going to take the path of least resistance. And when you're getting peppered with just volumes and volumes of information across cable news and websites and social media your mind is automatically going to revert to confirmation bias. You know, the easiest thing to do is to find the stuff that justifies your opinion, number one. And and I just, I believe, and again, feel free to flame me on social, feel free to email me and tell me I'm wrong. I just feel like the older you get, the tougher you are at filtering that stuff out. There's another trend there too, which is that if we look at the concept of political alignment, uh, and we look at the idea that the parties have always been these coalitions of sometimes conflicting factions, right? Um, the last major alignment started with Richard Nixon, started when Richard Nixon started courting uh, disaffected Southern Democrats who were upset that their own party embraced civil rights. And he was the one who came in with the law and order messaging. And then that kind of morphed into Christianity a bit. So in the Reagan era, I, I think that was really when God was invoked, when God and Republicanism, or I should say Christianity and Republicanism were sort of tied together on the abortion issue. Um, because, and that was kind of like when most pro-choice uh, Republicans started to disappear. Um, and, and so it's funny to see, to kind of have learned about that realignment and then kind of see another realignment going on here where a lot of the older evangelicals are... Um, starting to, or, you know, are kind of sticking the party line, but then this younger group is, um, is kind of disenchanted with that. And so I'm sorry, I kind of stopped you right in the middle. Of no, no, no. Cause we got, yeah, no, no. But so that, I think that was one of the, so one of the first issues where this doesn't sort of align and where I yeah. think the, the rhetoric around immigration doesn't land is yeah. with the younger group the, the data would suggest, I think that it doesn't, it doesn't land with the younger crowd as it mm-hmm. does in the older crowd within yeah. this white evangelical group, right? So this sort of anti-immigration, um, you know, posturing is just doesn't, it doesn't seem to have the same effect. Mm-hmm. Um, the other one, I think where it fails a little bit and may even to some degree do damage is where rhetoric, political rhetoric focuses on sort of um, the, the gay, lesbian, transgender groups because i mm-hmm. think when you see the that's the other one where I, I mean, i'm sure there are other issues if we kept going we could find where it aligns on other ones but these seem to be the major ones where, where yeah. it really um where it really kind of shifted which is um you know that the 29 you know, of americans overall who've left a formative religion right mm-hmm. um say it's because of negative views on gays and lesbians. So a third of people who leave formative re- religion, and this is not mutually exclusive, they, they list a bunch yeah. of reasons, but um, 30% of them 
mentioned as a reason negative views of of gays and lesbians um and i think within that also that you you get a split from the generations of like you know 22 percent of boomers who would be these 65 and olders Mm -hmm. um say they they know a lot of gay or lesbian people Mm -hmm. right um, but closer to like almost 40% of millennials and Gen Z say they know a lot of gay or lesbian people. Right. Mm-hmm. So, and it gets harder, you know, it gets harder to demonize and car- caricature people the more you actually know them, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, see, here's an example and, um, you know, something that you can relate to Dan from your, um, your own personal life. So, yeah. you know, I feel like there's at the risk of, again, sort of creating a caricature here myself. So apologies ahead of time. No, go for it. There is this sort of like the anti sort of gay, lesbian, transgender, you know, that these are, you know, somehow like deviant lifestyles that are not Mm -hmm. in keeping with sort of, you know, Christian ideas. Right. And yet, you know, there's a people who live down the street from me is a, you know, a gay couple who, um, you know, they're, they're, you know, hardworking people who own a nice home and they take care of it. And they also have, they have taken on, they've adopted three kids, um, you know, who, you know, who's, I don't, I don't know the backstory here, but you know, I mean, they're, they've taken on sort of three unwanted children Mm -hmm. and several of those of which are siblings and the, the biological parent, of the of couple of them had another kid um mm-hmm. unwanted and they've taken on the fourth and i was like i mean these people i mean you, you gotta i mean if you really have been paying attention in your in your ccd class i mean like, yeah. um there's I, it's hard for me to to see someone acting in a more christian manner than yeah that Right. Well, like, and I, I, and I'm, you know, they don't, do they want, do they want four kids? Probably not like, uh, but they're willing to step up and, and take care of an unwanted child. Like I, I mean, yeah. it's sort of, but what are you going to say? Like th- that shouldn't be because they're, they're leading some deviant lifestyle. Like I just, these things are so cognitively dissonant to me because we get so sort of stuck on, on one vector of, of analysis. I, I will say, I'll, I'll tell you something interesting. So, Again, getting back to Mark from a couple episodes ago, um, he was from a family of eight siblings. Uh, two of them came out of the closet. And again, this is conservative Christian Texas in you know the 90s. Um, now, the, inter- the interesting thing, and, and again, kind of you know dialing back the clock a bit since we're talking about upbringing, you know, there was a time, when you could say things like when 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 in public people would say things like well i'm fine if you know i i don't think uh gays should get married i don't think they should adopt that was like that was kind of like that was not an uncontroversial statement to make right uh and this and that shifted rapidly um but i think a lot of that happened because the gay community much to their credit like was was out and were proud I think like the pride movement really deserves a lot of credit for changing that mindset because I think the reason that that was allowed to exist for so long was because homosexuality was hidden, mm-hmm. you know, and, yep. and, uh, and, and that I, I do think that being out, 
uh, really did a lot to change people's mindsets. Because, and I won't, I'm not going to name names here, but what I will say is I know a number of people uh, who softened their stance on homosexuality in the last few decades. Right. Um, and, you know, because of, um, again, because of more gay couples being out and around, because you can't, you, 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 you can't, Char- you, you can't demonize, you can't draw a caricature of somebody you know personally. You know, it's yeah. very difficult, you yeah. know. Um, I mean, because, I mean, you see this on the, on the you know, sort of left slash Democrat slash Northern slash whatever. I mean, I, I think yeah. fall into the same category, right? Like, we create these, the, the MAGA hat wearing sort of whatever. Yeah. And yet, you know, to be quick to sort of run roughshod over the idea of like, you know, you're driving through some you know trump country and your car broke down like that person would probably come by and help you out like you know yeah I mean, well he drive out in, his, in that pickup truck and and probably stop and fi- help you fix your tire like i mean like you, yeah you know it's so easy to think it's like well, these these terrible sort of that's yeah, it and, and they and refuse to sort of acknowledge like that you know these aren't characters they're people who have a lot of different complex sort of ideas about things and and, and, and you know you know what instead we try to we try to like especially media does this we love to like bolster up the characters right they find the five percent that fit the character or the less and and sort of mm-hmm. try to show you that as much as possible we are going to take a short break and we'll be back in a moment with the data monkey I hope you're enjoying this episode and getting back to something I apologize for earlier in it. Are you getting just a little tired of all this? Because we barely had time to honor Ginsburg's legacy before both parties traded the arguments they had in 2016 and their followers traded their outrage. And if you've listened to this before, you know the reason. The parties aren't built for compromise and consensus, and they're not built to get along. It's the consequence of our all-or-nothing system of elections, and we can change that in the right numbers and with a little determination. Now, I want to thank everyone who's helped this movement grow by sharing YDHTY and reaching out to me. And I want to keep this momentum going. So please, right now, take the time to share YDHTY with one friend you think this will resonate with. I did the math. If we keep up the pace, we should reach the entire population of planet Earth by early next year. And we only need 5% of those people, preferably in America. So please, help me reach more people like you. As always, thank you for listening. And for your support. You know, we talked about homosexuality being um, discreet at a time. Now, an interesting thing that I discovered, this is like back in December when when there were a bunch of religion episodes going on, was the, the pro-life stance was really not uh, a blip on the radar of the of conservative Christians until it was kind of made that way. Mm-hmm. And, and part of the reason abortion has also been such a hot button is because it is a discreet event. It is something that people don't wear on their sleeves. Right. You know, so what did, did the data tell you anything about that? 
Yeah. Oh, so yeah, we touched on this. So I'd say that's one of the few defining sort of hot buttons that cross generation in terms of like the stance on abortion, mm-hmm. right? That's an easier one for everyone to sort of agree on in say, like, say if you're within sort of, you know, professed white um, evangelical sort of Protestant mm-hmm. group that whether you're 65 or 30, you can all kind of land on like that. That's a bad thing. Yeah. And I, and I, and I, and I get it. Like I understand because it's such a, to your point, it's such a discreet decision, right? Like, and it can be painted in such, how do I do this delicately? Um, Absolutist terms. Oh yeah. Right. It's, it's, you know, it's sort of like it it falls into the, um, you, you know, the, the sort of mental experiment that people will do like moral question right of of you know if aliens came down and said they would solve all the world's problems if you sacrificed one innocent child for it you know and be like oh i could not we could never live with the outcome because of what we had to do to do that right so it's it's i think that that becomes this sort of like yeah mental trap the- in which that you fall into right that that like you know i can't rest if even one innocent child is is lost and 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 because, and I say this because I, I like I, and I because I personally, I mean, I'll say this like personally, I'm I'm not really pro abortion. Like I, I can say this on a personal level. Yeah. The point is at the policy level or at the statistical level, you kind of won. Like well, like abortions are lower. The percentage of well, the birth rates lower overall. Mm-hmm. Pregnancies are lower overall, and the abortions percentage of pregnancies is lower than it was pre Roe v Wade. And it's certainly lower than it was post Roe v. Wade, like where, where, you know, I mean, we probably were keeping better data on it um, because obviously we didn't, you know, you know, there were plenty that were happening that no one was recording and newsflash there always will be. Yes. Like, well, even if you made it a capital crime, it would still happen. So you're never going to have a place in which zero happen. Right. mm -hmm. And what's more is that you're down to a point where, you know, a lower percentage of these, not only is it at a historic low, but the majority or the, a large portion of those, I'm going to say the majority, but a large portion of those are now because you have sort of the day after pill. So it's happening at a time when it's not like you're going to a clinic and they're, and it, it, it's, it's literally just taking a, like a, a medical, like a, a pill that's aborting this within the first like few days. Right. I mean, it's not, um, yeah. So the, the actual number of total real actual abortions, the way people think of it in their mind, I think, are like are down to a like very small number overall relative to the population. Because on an absolute basis, you know, they're they're kind of down to like uh, you know, call it um, five hundred, six hundred thousand. I mean, and against a population that you know, versus this is versus like you know millions that were happening and yet at the same time the population is that much bigger now so per capita is a very small number of these actually per year and it's at and it's in at least in u.s history at an all-time low yeah so so then so what does that say are we aiming for zero you'll never get zero you never you will never get zero yeah well there's so much i can say Uh, the the there's so much i can say about this and laying my cards on the table you know 
well, and our listeners will know in a second. I was raised in an extremely hard pro-life family. So my, my mom was uh, very active in Mass Citizens for Life, which is a, uh, which is a pro-life movement. So I was brought up, um, I was brought up very much in that, in that, in that philosophy. Uh, I remember sitting in church once and seeing this card that had um, all the deaths of World War II and Korea and Vietnam tallied up next to all the abortions that had taken place in the U S and how much big, and the whole idea was the message was of course, that there have been more abortions performed than died in wars. You know, that's, so this is the messaging, um, you get, uh, and the, as I got, as I got older, um, there, there are a couple of things that, that happened, uh, that, you know, to your point, I, I don't, am I, do I consider myself like pro choice? Like it's tough to like, I'm not an absolutist in this, you know, like yeah. I feel here's the, here's, here's the deal, right? I think we have already determined as a society that there are times when the state is sanctioned or an individual is sanctioned to take life. So if we just take that idea, if we just assume on its face that life begins at the moment of conception. If we just take the, the pro-life argument and say that, right? Um, we have already agreed that there are circumstances where a life can be taken. So we put a lot of money into the military, a lot of money into armaments that go overseas and blow other people up. So the, there's a body count that America leaves in its wake with or without uh, abortion. We decide that there's a certain acceptable level of auto fatalities um, because, uh, or there's an acceptable level of auto fatalities because uh, we decide at what point safety uh, is outweighed by price. You know, right. we could make, we could make a car that nobody dies in. It would just cost more than anybody could pay. And so we, and, and to add something a little more in line, you know, somebody threatens your life, you can kill them. Somebody threatens a police officer's life. The police officer has the power to kill them. So we live in a society where taking life is sanctioned already. And so it's just a matter of consequence, number one. Uh, the, the second part to that is that uh, there is also a lot of talk about what happens before the baby is born and zero talk about after. And yeah. that, so I, that's where I was going to go with, I liked your auto example, but I was going to raise this issue too, is we yeah. get stuck on the explicit things and not on the implicit ones, right? If you, there are yeah. many statistical ways to kill an innocent person that are not explicit. And I, and I point this out by saying like, take Alabama, right? Yeah. Which has some of the most, you know, sort of stringent restrictions in the country on abortions. And, and, and that's fine. Like, that's fine. But my issue is probably more that, it's cognitively dissonant with then landing in 50 out of 50 on say early childhood education. Right. Yes. So you sort of implicitly are going and we, and we take all the extrapolations or, or early, you know, um, uh, you know, um, young, you know, if we take early childhood education, early childhood healthcare, like all these things that are then going to be lead you to, I can just tell you statistically that's likely to end with 
a higher percentage of people dying from whether it's sort of malnutrition medical related or it's poverty and crime like you you can you can just sort of say you're you're kind of implicitly dooming this um a group of people of innocent people to uh to a bad outcome well that's Uh, what yeah that's that's what kind of drives me up a wall because now, first off, let me just pause for a moment and just say that at the beginning of this episode, we uh, honor the memory of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, and now there are two dudes talking about abortion. So we're just going to kind of know, we're, know. we're going to we're going to throw that out there for everybody. Um, can I just like we could just can I just have that as a blanket? We should just use that at the upfront, Dan. Maybe every episode, yeah. we should just say you are about to listen to an hour of two men talk about stuff they probably have no business talking about. Bingo. Yes. And we'll just record thing. that and play it at the beginning of each one as a disclaimer. Yeah. That's our disclaimer. So that's that's number one. Um, you know, number two, and I will say this with all due respect to folks who are listening who consider themselves uh, pro-life. So I was a foster parent, okay? And I'm not saying that to pat myself on the back. There were There were two children in my town in a lot of trouble. And my wife and I have four kids of our own. And have more than enough reason to be like, oh, well, that's too bad. And we took them in. And it was the toughest thing I've ever done in my entire life. And I did it because I felt like these two kids were going to get lost in the system if somebody didn't step up. That's why we did it. That's why we took it on. And it was very, it was very difficult. And those two kids were born into such, just such a, fucked up situation. Right. Just so fucked up. And you and 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 unless you've done it yourself or unless you've had contact with somebody who has, you just have no idea how messed up some people are. You just have zero idea. And so all I got to say to anybody who's listening who might be pro-life or knows somebody pro-life, have you ever fostered? Have you ever adopted? Like, what have you done to alleviate the other end of that equation? Because it is not fucking pretty. It's not like, oh, well, you just, you know, you just accept responsibility and you be a good parent. It's not like that. What if you were bipolar and off your meds and you got knocked up by somebody? Like, like, where's the, what, what do you, how do you pull yourselves up from the bootstraps? Like with that situation, what if you didn't have any money to afford psychiatric care? You know, this is this is what happens, and I mean, this so is the real world, not the well, not bingo, the theoretical. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. you can't you if you you cannot say I am pro life, and in the same breath not say we need more money for social services, we need more money for mental health care, we need more money for public schools, we need more money to remove all the uh, variables of desperation that ultimately result not just in abortion, but in criminality, child abuse, neglect, trafficking, all those things. You are full of shit if if you say you were pro-life and you at least haven't endorsed those policies, much less taken a walk and actually tried to solve it. And, I and guess, I'm not, again, not yeah, trying no, to paint, go on. No, 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 totally. Dan, I think, I mean, I obviously, I'm, I'm, I kind of agree with, with almost everything you're saying there. And I, my, yeah. my I guess my, you know, the hunch monkey is going to go ahead and say, like, I just, I, I'm the cynic in me and, and looking at at least the data I have looked at just says that this is increasingly become an issue that is more about, um, 
a certain level of sort of tribal signaling, virtue mm-hmm. signaling. It's yeah. a political weapon for for binding or dividing. It's not it's not really about a solution. Of yeah. Some kind. Well, and look at I mean, look at what's going on right now. The only reason the only reason, well, actually, let me step back. I'm doing my wrestling bad guy again. Mm-hmm. My perception is that the reason that the right is so gung-ho about another Supreme Court justice is because of abortion and maybe Second Amendment stuff. But but that my my gut and I would love any data backing that up. My and this is based on conversations I've had with folks who fit the bill too. Is that uh, the the obsession with the Supreme Court is for rulings on uh, Second Amendment and uh, and and Roe v. Wade? Any thoughts? No, any I mean which, which I think is again it's um, you know I don't know if I have data for either one, but we touched a bit on. Uh, I think that's probably generally true the hunch monkey is going to go ahead and say that's probably true if uh, yeah if i went and got the data i think that's that 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 would be rank as an as a, as a very highly as an issue as to why they see the supreme court as an important yeah right, and right, so yeah. both of those would would probably land as higher issues um we could talk about how statistically that's somewhat in opposition to each other right because as we touched on with the the gun and this is i say this as someone who's generally pretty pro second amendment and actually yeah. I, i've been um, my several neighbors who um, fire guns, I belong to a gun club. Like I, I, it runs roughshod over the obvious correlation that more guns and more guns availability equal more gun deaths. Yeah. And some of those are innocent, right? Again, yeah. so some of those are just like, if you are a child in a house with a gun, you are more likely to die from a gun wound. Same as if yeah. you were a child who lives in a, a place with a pool, you are more likely to pool, pools kill innocent, cause innocent lives. Right. Guns cost innocent lives. Um, so, so again, this high, like taking an absolutist, like very stringent view of no innocent lives shall die. Well, we, uh, we've already, we've sort of already agreed that there are many ways in which we let innocent lives be, be killed for, 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 for some personal freedoms and some personal conveniences. Well, that's, that's exactly it. And, and I think that like, we're not a society on the whole that values life or the sanctity of life. Uh, America is not. And, uh, and, or at least I should say in all of our behaviors, we are not. And so I think there ought to be some, some ideological honesty there. Um, but the, the interesting thing here, and oddly enough, we're getting right back to where we started the whole abortion very much and i would say guns too for that matter are both tools that are used by the left and the right to ultimately secure votes so right now uh the death of ruth bader ginsburg the appointment of a new supreme court justice both sides are going to be painting that as a battle for abortion rights or a battle for second amendment rights um, it is going to be a nice political lightning rod to get the base focused on something they feel very strongly about and something that arguably has never been influenced one way or the other by the Supreme Court. You know, even with a conservative majority, uh, the abortion cases have not gone the way of the pro-life movement under the Trump administration. You know, there's not, there's not been one, uh, there's not been one pro-life victory 
in the current court as it stands. So, uh, you know, return on investment, folks. Um, but the interesting thing here is, of course, the Supreme Court in and of itself, like everything else in America, has turned into this hyperpartisan institution. And the interesting thing that I was talking about with Doug Amy, who is the last guest, and I, and I actually edited it out of the episode, but I, I put it back online. I'll tell everybody where in just a second. The interesting thing he advocated for was for term limits for Supreme Court justices. And, and I didn't know this until talking with him, but we are one of two countries in the world that have Supreme Court justice appointments for life. The only other one is Denmark. Um, and everyone else has some kind of either term limit or age limit. And so what he suggested is 18-year term limits. So every president gets to pick two. That would be a pragmatic solution. My pro- my issue is going to be that we're not going to go that route. We'll go a different route, which is oh. to make it even more of an, a, a blatant, like hyper-partisan well, uh, branch, right? Because like, I, I can already see like the, the rumblings are starting of like, well, maybe, we, maybe it should be 11 justices. Well, see, yeah. And it's going to be, well, maybe it should be 13. Oh, well, maybe it should be 15. Well, maybe it should be 17. Like, so they'll get there too. It'll just be by packing it until it's another body of government. Like, I mean, it's so dumb. Yeah. That we will and, go that way. <laughs> and we, we like to think of, you know, I think in a lot of cases we, how do, how do I put this? The, the way Americans view the Supreme Court seems to exist in contrast to the way they view packing the Supreme Court. So it tends to be like the Supreme Court is this, you know, revered group of, of jurists who, you know, who, who are kind of, who like dig deep into the constitution to reach their decisions. And the reality is they're just really good partisans. They just, they're, they're just, they're really smart people. Um, they got to where they are by being political and they are just really, really smart about couching their partisan views in legal language. And so it is a partisan institution and it reflects partisanship of the era they were appointed. And it doesn't make sense to have one president potentially, or, or it doesn't make sense to have one president sort of fossilize public sentiment of a four-year period just by chance. For 50 years. Well, yeah, yeah. yeah it yeah, makes yeah. about as much sense as it does and. 87 year old suffering from cancer working because she feels the weight of the world on her shoulders, you know? Yeah. It's like, so, so in my mind, um, term limits would remove the political football element from it. Or mandatory retirement ages would kind of create the same yeah, thing. Yeah. So on average, you're, you have to be at a certain level of accomplishment to be even considered for the court. So you're going to be in your late 30s, early 40s, late 40s, somewhere along there, probably. And if you just said you got a mandatory retirement age of 65 or something, you got to come off the court. That, um, so that would also accomplish sort of the same thing. Other countries do the same thing. Um, I think it's no, look, no, uh, no president in their right mind is going to appoint anyone but a youngish Supreme Court justice. You know, yeah. I mean, Ted Cruz, I think, would be the youngest appointed if that happened, which probably won't. But, um, you know, 
but yeah, so I, I do, I do feel like there's there, you know, not just for the, the sake of removing the, you know, political gamesmanship out of it, but also just to like, make sure again, that, that public opinion in, in a snap, like a snapshot of public opinion doesn't dictate policies for decades. And for anyone interested in digging into that, I actually, I, so I took that clip that I edited out. I put it up on YouTube. I it's on Twitter. It's on Facebook, um, under, you don't have to yell. So you can view it there. Um, I'll also post a link in the show notes as well as links to some of the resources you cited, Mike, if you would be so kind to send them on and otherwise I just won't. I'll just write Can I make a public service announcement too? Yes, please. Um, I think, it would be really, really helpful is if the growing number of people out there, um, you know, uh, in across the U.S. and and in Lower Saxony, were to um, and Brussels now. Oh, Brussels! All right, all right. Yep, I'm looking at you, it. Brussels, but I'm talking to you, Lower Saxony. Um, <laughs> That's right. Send me, uh, send stuff to us. Send us data um, that you want us to look at. Send us studies. Would be an interesting topic for either to get an expert. Or to have people send us stuff and you and I can look into it and have a discussion about it is, because I suspect it's going to be true, is as you get older, the hunch monkey is going to make a hypothesis here. If As you get older, are you more likely to WWF the world? You start yeah. simplifying things into very That's World easy. Wrestling Federation, because not World I, Wildlife Fund. Oh, right. Sorry. Yeah, I should have been yeah. very clear. Um uh, yeah. So right, go on. Sorry. So, I no, I just, I, I wonder if you're more, I think you're probably more likely to start caricaturizing things to oh, simplify agreed. it and help organize it and compartmentalize and, um, and compress data, right? Like, um, you know, our brains can only handle so much. Um, mm-hmm. we can talk about this on another episode. I've been reading, I've just finished this book a couple weeks ago by Caesar Hidalgo called how information grows. And one of the things yeah. he talks about is like, you know, however you want to frame the, the, current look at neuroscience there is like a limited amount of data that a human brain can hold and so mm-hmm. we, we we data we data cleanse we dump stuff we uh we come and then we compress we yeah. compress data right and just like this is what we do with within data centers right we take data and we try to figure out ways to compress it to hold on to as much of it as possible in as small a space as possible and similarly i think our brains do the same thing we say like mm-hmm. Well, I can't, you know, I, I, I can't in that Stephen Wright way, I can't have a map of the world that's scale is one mile by one mile. So I've got to, I've got to figure out ways to shrink this to mm-hmm. something I can get my head around. And, yep. and so we start to build caricatures and, and those are, make us very uh, ripe for manipulation um, as an entire industry of Rain Madison Avenue has been uh, designed to do. So oh, yeah. anyway, it would be interesting to maybe delve into this topic a bit more. Cause I wonder if that's a little bit too at work with um, how, if there's an age susceptibility, right? Again, this is not me saying, this is a question or I'm, yeah. I'm like, this is something. I wonder if there's an age susceptibility to social media, like, Older, oh. pe- older people are at the same time saying social media is destroying the world and they're probably the ones being most manipulated by it Without versus like younger people, like, because we're coming tie this back to our whole like white evangelical discussion of the older cohort versus the younger cohort. Like, are those younger ones just more adept at 
media and culture. And so they're less easily influenced into this like anti-immigration stance, or it's very oh, yeah. hard for them to take a very hard, like anti, um, LGBTQ sort of, you know, view, right. It's just, so it shows up in these, um, in some of this, in this polling that it's mm-hmm. really just that they're not as easily manipulated into a position. I think that's worth diving into. I think that's worth diving into. Um, and I'm also going to, you know, I'm going to cap this off with a statement that our next episode is on October 31st or I don't know. It's in October. I haven't checked. It's October. I'll wear a costume. And yeah, I'll wear, I'll wear mine too. We'll just coordinate, make sure we don't come showing, doing the same thing. Like we both show up as Robin or something like that. Um, so I, I'm going to guess that we are going to talk about this because nothing more terrible is going to happen between now and then. Oh no. No, that's the opposite of what I did. Okay. Did I just do it? I don't, I don't, I don't know. Uh, All I know is, all I know is Dan, I already said it. So even if I edit it out, it's like it happened. All I know is 2020 is your fault. That's it. That was the real takeaway from the beginning of this episode to the end. That's what I take away from this. My brain has compressed this all into one (laughs) takeaway that Dan is the cause of 2020. (laughs) So 2020 is all my fault. And the two dimensional caricatures we apply to people who aren't like us often fail under scrutiny. Neither should be a big surprise to anyone who listens to this podcast. Now, I'm going to take a stab at another theory. I don't think this whole thing has helped when our interactions with people on screens increased over time. And I don't think the fact screens are the only way many of us have interacted with others in the past few months helps at all. And we can only expect this to get worse until those in power are either incentivized to collaborate until we stop taking the bait, or until something terrible happens. Now, we're going to build on this topic with next week's guest, who just wrote a book on the subject. Lee Drutman, senior fellow at the New America Foundation, joins me to discuss his new book, Breaking the Two-Party Doom Loop. It's a truly fascinating read that outlines the problems of our winner-take-all system of elections, how reforms would change things, and most interestingly, what lessons history provides on how we can get real systemic change in this country. Seriously, do not miss this one. Per usual, music courtesy of QuellerTac. YDHTY's editorial advisor is Adam Yaffe. You Don't Have to Yell is produced by the big Gino, Jason Putney, in North Carolina, United States of America. Until the next, this is your resident bod boy, Dan Sally, signing off.